You're listening to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Capture the night sky. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Yes, we are still here. Yes, we did not give it, uh, well, pack it all in because of the clouds, although there are some days that I feel like doing that because I haven't seen a star in weeks. No. Um, so, as usual, it, it's uh, Boris and Doris once again, uh, oh. also known as <laughs> Trevor and Steve. Um, you can you can d- decide who's who. Um, I think I need a new inside joke, Trevor. What do you what do you yeah, think? No, yeah, no, uh, def- definitely. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll come up with something, or maybe you guys have pet names for us already, <laughs> and you can tell tell us what they are. I'm um, kind of scared to hear those. So am I. Uh, I really opened up the door on that one. Um, good thing we're not live. I could probably edit this out, right? But since no. I've already been told by some of you that I'm a horrible audio engineer, <laughs> I'm not going Ouch. to. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it. I, I really am. So, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of a lot of good things going on. Um, the weather will get better where we are. Hopefully where you are, the weather's pretty good. Um, there have been some great uh, images put on our website. There is an image, uh, not, well, Facebook page. There is uh-huh. a uh, bit of a imaging challenge. Trevor, have you seen that? I, you've been super busy lately. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to talk to Trevor in, in, in a few weeks. Um, and uh, I haven't, I don't know if he's even aware. Do you know about our imaging challenge? With, with the uh, M1, the Crab Nebula? No, we're well beyond that now. Oh, God. And we're still, then, we're still no. waiting for you to uh, to judge those pictures. Oh, um, okay. Uh, right now, a um, bit of an obscure one, but it, it, it's out there, especially for in the Northern Hemisphere. Imaging challenge is Kembill's Cascade, which is a chain of unrelated stars that form a chain of about 20 stars. It's um, located in Camelopardus. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. And uh, it's actually a good binocular object, so anyone that has a small scope, you don't need like big heavy equipment for this. Um, anyone with a small scope um, should be able to pick this up, no problem. Uh, we're playing for uh, pride, not prize. Uh, good bragging rights here. Um, I like that. I like that object choice. Something a little more obscure, not so obvious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't. I don't even remember exactly where I saw this, but uh-huh. um, I thought this is really neat, and uh, I want to. I want to give it a shot myself uh, once the clouds clear. Me too. Um, uh, the the nice thing is the location. Um, it's almost available all year round. Right. Right. Uh, except if you have a big house in front of it. Um, uh, so it, it, it's positioned up pretty high right now, so mm-hmm. it, it's easy to get to. Um, and uh, it, it's um, actually off of Cassiopeia too. So if you can see Cassiopeia, then you should be able to find this without any issue. Kemble's Cascade, you said. Kemble's Cascade. It's it you know it's a pretty arrangement of stars, right? Yeah. And um, uh, you know some there's some really nice colors in there too. So, um, you know I think this could even be a really nice DSLR object. I For I sure. think right. Yeah, well, star star clusters are usually you can get away with shorter exposures, so uh, it's kind of, it kind of opens the doors to everyone, even the beginners, because. Uh, you're not going to get any extra details in a star cluster shooting three-minute exposures than you'd get with uh, just stacking lots of 30-second exposures. Yeah, 
Exactly. So I thought this was pretty pretty cool, nice, interesting object. Um, yeah, good choice. Thank you. And uh, I probably saw it on something else. And that's pretty neat. We should try yeah. that out. So, yeah, try that out. Um, you know, other big news, uh, Trevor had a birthday a few days ago. This was, that's not big news. Oh, but it's huge. He's getting I old. had a birthday. He, he's getting old? Yep. Um, I'm in my mid-30s now. Right? That, that's why he has a uh, an automated focuser. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> I, I'm getting old. I can't be bothered with manually doing much these days. Yeah, he sits inside a house and does everything from there. Next thing you know, he'll be, like, shaking his fist at clouds. Yeah, like uh, Abe Simpson did. Um, <laughs> I've been doing that for years. Yeah, yeah, sure. Everybody that's listening is, has as well. Um, so, so, anyways, uh, we have uh, we do have a topic for today. And Trevor, why don't you tell everybody what it is? This this week's topic is fitting in deep sky astrophotography into your full time work schedule. So I'm speaking to the guys that are checking the weather at lunchtime to see when the clouds clear and uh, planning your night and squeezing it in on a weeknight uh, before another day of work the following day. I know there's a lot of you guys out there with schedules like mine, that the 9 to 5ers, and uh, the matter of the fact is that we chose a hobby that takes place at night. So there's there's only so, so many ways around it. Um, so yeah, that, that's the topic. Do you, what, what do you think about that, Steve? I think that's fantastic. Oh, good. I think that's, that's I think that's great, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that that uh, have to try to squeeze everything in and and use all their time effectively, mm-hmm. um, uh, because it is limited, and uh, um, you know. Yeah, it's all about being efficient. Yeah, and you know, even when when the summertime comes, sure, it's nice and warm, and you don't have to worry about snow and there's generally less clouds, right? But yep. the, the night is a lot shorter. It's shorter and it doesn't start until like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Yeah. So you're, no, you're all fired up at 10 o'clock. The sun is setting. You're all getting ready to go. But you're, you're really realistically not even imaging until almost midnight. Yeah, but there's, there's more room for the focus aid. Yeah. Right? Mm. You crack, crack open another cold one and... It, well, and it's just generally nicer to be, uh, it's a nicer experience in the summer than it is right now. So sure. this time of year, you kind of wonder why you do it. Because, at, because at, we at love times. the hobby. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that much is true. I, I think people would either say I'm crazy or I love the hobby at this point. No, we'll go with you love the hobby. Okay. I yeah. like that. Yeah. If, if, if you see me out this time of year, then you know I'm crazy. But that's the difference. That means you've you've lost it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm just gonna get into this here. Yep. So, if if you're like me, um, you you not only work a nine to five job, but you take your career seriously. So you can't show up to work all groggy and half in the bag from a long night of astrophotography where you can't perform at work the next day. Um, and you're, you're pretty much useless because, you know, people start to talk at that point and that's not, it's not good for anyone's career. So the key is in the preparations. Um, if you leave everything up until the sun is setting and, uh, you haven't done any planning towards your imaging session, uh, you're in for a world of headaches. Uh, This is pretty much the way I used to do it. Uh, I wouldn't even think of anything to do with astrophotography until I had a clear night. 
And then I'd be sitting there setting up outside all the while thinking, oh, what? I wonder what I'll shoot tonight. These days, uh, I'm so far past that. I'm, I'm planning into the summer months already at this stage. So I've got a short list here of questions to ask yourself um, when you're selecting your next target um, during the day when you have some free time on a weekend when it's cloudy. So here's the, the questions I ask myself. Um, how will this DSO fit in my camera slash telescope's field of view? Will this target require narrow band details to complete the image? Will the target be free of obstructions in my backyard? How much time will this object spend in my imaging window? Will the target require a meridian flip to continue capturing and when? Is this target bright enough to photograph in a heavily light polluted area? And which filters will I need to use to best image this target? So tell me, Steve, uh, do you go through a checklist like that before you start a night of imaging? Uh, I know you haven't done a whole lot, but um, is this a, is this process sounding familiar to you, or are you kind of it, just winging it? No, it, well, most of the time I'm winging it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't see any of my pictures being published anywhere, uh, or even me posting them. Um, so yeah, most of the time I'm winging it. But you know, when I'm I have gone on a couple of imaging trips in in the summertime, yeah. Or if I go to Starfest, for example, um, or any kind of star party, um, I kind of have an idea of what a couple of objects that I want to uh, go for, and um, either a main one or a couple of main ones I want to do throughout the night, or um, uh, a, at least a backup if something's right. not working out right. Uh, and realistic targets that you know are going to be of, of a good size with your equipment and yeah yeah and, and and the best way to do that i find is i i like to use um i have my ipad uh and i've got uh, sky safari pro yep um and i i really enjoy that program and one thing i like about it and you can do the same thing with stellarium as well as you can enter in all your equipment uh determine what your field of view is going to be and then start selecting your objects so you see what's going to fit and if i'm going to yeah. need a, if i'm going to need a focal reducer um if i'm going to have to do a mosaic if that's the case then i'm not going to be shooting that target because i don't know how to do that um um exactly it, it, oh, and those are the kind of things my camera which camera am i going to use uh so you know that kind of i like to go through that those processes and then when the equipment's set up, just kind of, you know, take the clutches off and rotate everything through, make sure that nothing is going to be snagged, right? That That's kind of been my my process and way of, of doing things. Um, and, and then from there, I, I wing it. Right. Well, it, no, that's a, that's you're doing putting a lot more preparations into someone that's just winging it. But it's it's that uh, and intensified on a weeknight, um, because you really, once you do get that imaging window, say it's at this time of year, it's seven o'clock, the sky is clear. You better be ready to be up and running as soon as possible. Right. Um, because you want to capture as much, uh, exposure time as you can before you either tear down or you have to do a meridian flip or, or your, um, or, you know, morning comes. Yeah. So, uh, so well, let me ask you something on how you handle a meridian flip do you image and then wait for the meridian flip and then keep going again yep i pretty much I, I take it right until the mount um stops tracking because it's already it's gone as far as it can go okay um so yeah you sh and it, you know it always goes farther than you think actually past the uh yeah uh like it's 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 very um 
whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, but I usually notice that um, in my tracking, uh, I'll see it go wonky all of a sudden, and I know it's actually stopped tracking. Sure. I'll go out and I'll do the meridian flip, uh, realign everything, and start up again. And it's usually yeah. about um, anywhere from 10, 5 to 10 minutes to get the whole thing flipped over and realigned again. So you know what I want to try out this year, right? Because, you, you know, I, I, I do plate solving. Right. Yeah. For my alignment. Mm -hmm. And that, that's probably something to consider, too, to help save time is to get into plate solving and eliminate all that alignment time that, you, that you're going to spend doing that night. Absolutely. Um, so there's some imaging programs out there that will do the meridian flip for you. Plate solve, recenter the object and then keep going. Yeah. Um, so that's what I so that's what I really want to get into this year. And I know that, um, like, Sequence Generator Pro does it. Mm -hmm. Astrophotography Tool is supposed to do it in the next version. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's what I've been told. Um, hopefully it comes out. Um, I'm sure there's other ones that do it, too. I, I just don't know what they are. But that, that, that's another way of, of handling it also. Yeah. No, the, the fully automated guys with a permanent setup... I mean, they're talk about maximizing your time. Some of those guys can can literally a few clicks and they're up and running because it's all pre pre polar aligned, uh, plate solved. Everything's automated. They can do it from the house. Um, I'm talking about kind of I guess more of the manual guys or the semi automated setups, kind of like my myself. Right. Um, so some other things you can do to speed the process up is doing a dry run and marking the positions of your gear. So if you're like me, you kind of have to take everything down. Uh, you can't move the whole rig over at once into the garage or into the house. You have to disassemble things. Um, but you can pre-balance everything and mark the positions, take a photo of it. Uh, so when you do have to set up again with a particular set of gear, uh, camera, telescope, what have you, you know the roughly the position it needs to be in for a proper balance. So that process of of Getting your final balance takes two minutes rather than starting from scratch each time. Um, and the, so the same goes for a polar alignment. If you need to set up your tripod and you don't have a fixed fixed spot, you can mark the location, a rough location, um, so that when you do set up again, you're roughly polar aligned so much so that, uh, in my case, so that Polaris is through the polar finder scope and then it's just a matter of fine tweaking. Uh, so that kind of stuff can save... A lot of time and it's if, if you keep setting up in the same spot of your yard that's that's a lot easier but again you don't you don't want to be spending all your time on polar alignment and balance um, on a quick imaging session uh, when you know when the sky's clear yeah no, absolutely because if you uh, spend too much time on it that just eats eats away yeah. into your, your short imaging window yeah and, ho and hopefully the alignment routine works for you the first time. You don't have to do it over and over again in order for it to work um, work properly. Yeah. So if you do if you do have uh, plate solving going, that'll speed your star alignment procedure up a lot. Uh, personally, I still do uh, manual star alignment. I've just been doing it for so long now. It doesn't take me longer than five minutes to do that. Uh, and then, so there, like I said, there are some aids to speed the process up, like using plate solving software. Uh, and then for polar alignment, using a pole master device. Uh, I know those that own one swear by it and they say it's just, uh, a godsend. Basically it's just, you, you really, you can absolutely nail your polar alignment every time. 
uh, and it's quick and easy. So yeah, well, you know what? You mentioned a Pullmaster, fantastic piece of equipment. Um, if you have a guide scope, there's a, the the polar routine in, in sharp cap as well. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't have a polar scope in my my mount, and uh, um, I use that, and it works really really well. So you know to save yourself the expense of spending four hundred dollars Canadian ish. Um, that's the free option. Yeah, if you already have a guide if you scope, have sharp, yeah, and right? sharp cap. Yeah, buy yourself sharp cap. It's like fifteen bucks for the pro version, and use that polar alignment. That one works really well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that being said, a pole master is on my list uh, to invest in that just mm-hmm. for that ex- that save time and. You know, polar alignment is something you don't want to mess around with, and, and having that locked on uh, and being confident of that is is definitely worth the effort because yeah. it's it's essential. You know, you know, you know. I heard a, I heard a, a trick actually. Somebody was talking about uh, pole masters, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he he does his polar alignment, everything's good, and then throughout the imaging, his imaging run, mm-hmm. he keeps his pole his pole master on. And why is that? Because then he can, if there's any shift in his mount, mm-hmm. he can make tweaks right there right. in the fly. Because because sometimes once you know things start moving around, your mount might settle a bit. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right. Say say you're on on grass, you're not on something hard. Mm-hmm. Right. It might there might be a bit of a shift, and he just he does a couple of tweaks, and he maintains his polar alignment. I thought that was a pretty pretty slick idea. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I would normally think of just—I wouldn't even think of leaving it on once I had it set. But you're right; things happen. Yep. So, and then automation makes makes a big difference too. Uh, maybe you don't want to be spending um, the majority of your night in the backyard. You've got other things to do. Uh, so, if you're using—I um, happen to use TeamViewer because it's free—and uh, then I can remotely view and control my imaging laptop outside. Uh, and I can kind of get things done, whatever I need to get done in the house, uh, and while monitoring the images that I'm taking. Uh, because I'm not fully automated, there's there's still a few things I can't do. Um, although now I can control the focus uh, with the stepper motor kit I've just installed. Uh, so if I need to make any tweaks without going back outside for that, and then as well as having the mount connected uh, via ASCOM, I can slew the mount around and make any adjustments to my framing from inside the house as well. And that just having that ability, um, again, saves time, speeds the whole process up. So once you've got your, your imaging in for however long the, the, the time you have on your object, um, as an example, this time of year, if I'm imaging Orion, it starts to run into the roof of my garage around 1.32 AM. So if that were my target for the night, I could actually leave everything running uh, go to bed for two hours, set the alarm for, for two o'clock, uh, and then go outside and start tearing down. Um, but as you guys know, there's, you're not done once your light frames, uh, have finished capturing. Uh, so I usually, I'll leave the camera and the telescope connected, uh, take that off the mount and start shooting darks and I'll leave that running. I'll usually take 15 darks uh, with the scope actually in the garage and the mount all disassembled. And then in the morning, uh, it's a quick matter of collecting flat frames using the uh, white t-shirt method. 
um, pointed at the dawn sky. Uh, and then I can pull all my files off onto a USB drive from the, the night before. And uh, there you have it. There's an imaging night done during the week with on certain nights, on a good night, I can I can have my actual setup time down to about a half hour, 45 minutes, and then another 20 to 30 minutes of teardown time. So you're looking at an hour and a half's work um, for potentially three to four hours worth of exposure time on a weeknight, and I'll take it. Um, so getting that process as efficient as possible and as, as fast as possible is, is a good way to kind of squeeze in a hobby that takes place at night uh, in a busy schedule where, where you can't be up all night. This definitely sounds like a plan. <laughs> Some people might call you crazy, but you know that's I know I know the listeners right now. Uh, there's a lot of you guys in the, the same boat as I am, and that's uh, that's the life we chose. Yep, it, but it's a great hobby. <laughs> it's, it sure is, I, and I mean, reviewing those photos—that's what it's all about, right? It's that's what makes you want to set up and do it all over again and capture more time. Uh, or you just love the process. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's time, but but it's time well spent. Excellent. So I think we have uh, we have a pretty good understanding of what needs to take place. Um, I'm I'm curious to know what our listeners do. And... Yeah, I, I want to hear your time saving techniques, and if there's anything based on the way I describe my process that would. Uh... That would help me out and save me some time. And and, and I'd like to learn them too because I, I keep winging it. So, <laughs> anyways, I think uh, I, I'm out of jokes. I got I got nothing anymore. Yeah. Um, no. And I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start getting into the dad joke soon, and people are gonna. Oh, so we better wrap it up then. Yeah, I better wrap it up. So, anyways, everybody, clear skies. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, sharing and uh, tell your friends to listen and, and subscribe as well. Um, the, the response has been amazing. Uh, and I, I look forward to uh, continuing on with, with Trevor for sure. Uh, Trevor, I hope you feel the same way and don't want to find a, a new partner in this. But um, I, Yeah, no, I think I'll stick with you for a little while longer. All right, as long as, long as the jokes don't get any more, any more worse than they are. That's guess. right. Yeah. Um, okay, everybody, clear skies. We'll talk clear to you Clear skies, soon. everyone. Thank Thanks you. for listening.